Today's show is brought to you by Team Snap. Sign up for a free 21-day free trial at www.tryteamsnap.com slash holybackboard. Let's go! Alright everybody, welcome to the 95th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin, here in Rip City, and I got my man... Say, chilling in uh, Southern Oregon. I'm doing well, man. I'm just uh, happy that last week's basketball was 4-1, and one, not 1-4. and four. Credit to you, too, for pulling out that 4-1 and one prediction. I thought for certain it was going to be 3-2 and two at best. I didn't know that John Wall was going to be hurt, and that really helps our uh, chances of winning in Washington. But, you know, Nurk, Nurk's played well in the last few games, so that definitely helps to have, like, that third option. I mean, the Blazers have been playing extremely well, and they're making up for what we both thought was an extremely slow start by going on the road and getting busy. I mean, they got, they've got some wins for sure. They are impressive, six and four away from the friendly confines of the Rose Garden. They're only seven and four at home. And after playing ten of the first, um, they had that stretch where they played ten of eleven games at home. They were super lopsided in the home road splits. We were still hanging around middle of the pack. Everyone was starting to worry. This is the first long road trip of the year, and. Yes, there were key players on each team that they played for the most part that were that were out. However, they did what good teams were supposed to do, and they they took advantage. Uh, let's recap the week that was. They really gutted out a one hundred and ninety two victory um, over the Memphis Grizzlies in Memphis uh, last Monday the twentieth. Uh, followed that up with maybe one of their poor showings of the year, a 20-point loss in Philly against the surging Sixers. However, they won a shootout on Black Friday, a 9 a.m. local start, by the way, uh, 127 to 125 over the Brooklyn Nets. The next night in D.C. against the Wizards, the miraculous 17-point comeback uh, sparked by the, all of the big three, really, as the Blazers... Uh, stunned the Wizards 108-105, and they capped the road trip in the Mecca, Madison Square Garden, defeating the Knicks 103-91, despite one of the ugliest fourth quarters I've seen in recent memory. But we'll talk about this later. Um, I actually think it's a good thing that that happened. Uh, Sage, what was what were the takeaways from from the week that was? It was a five game slate, and our boys are now thirteen and eight, fourth overall in the Western Conference, uh, a game up on the Timberwolves, Nuggets, and Pelicans, and just a half game behind the Spurs for the third spot out west, uh, with a four game homestand coming up. So, what were your takeaways from that four and one road trip? We seem to have a bad quarter of basketball quite frequently, like the fourth. In the New York game, it, it seems like we, when we struggle, we don't play as a team. But then we get our heads on straight and then go out and have like a miraculous, like a really good run to seal off the game. Like against Washington, we had that 
whatever run it was that you just said. But it's I don't I, I absolutely do not like it when we just play ISO offense with a few dribbles and then a shot, no ball movement. But when we play as a team, I really enjoy it. So what I thought was really impressive and sustainable for the future if the Trailblazers want to continue to be a top four team out west was the fact that it wasn't just the Dame and CJ Mm. show. Yes, they each had their moments, but if we go back to that first game in Memphis, which feels like eons ago, feels like so long ago, and it was just eight days ago, Shabazz Napier came off the bench and poured in 16 points. That was the three-guard lineup game. We also had Noah Vonley. Oh, he had a good one, too. 11 points, 18 rebounds, 3 blocks. He was a fucking menace on the defensive end of the floor. He dominated that game on the defensive end of the floor, on the backboards, like you would expect from a DeAndre Jordan, like you would expect from a Marc Gasol. And he's really showing why the Blazers moved uh, Nicholas Batum for him the, the the three years ago because of the potential. He is just so quick. He's such a smart basketball player, and he doesn't play out of his skill set, which I love. I mean, there have been so many Blazers in the past where you pass them the ball, they're going to try to dribble between their legs, or they're going to shoot you know, contested jump shots and just play outside their skill set. Unless it's there, Noah's not going to take it. He's not going to force it. He knows where the bread is buttered on the Trailblazer offense. He's fine cutting to the basket, getting those dunks, maybe shooting an open jump shot. But defense and rebounding is where he's going to really make his money. And I, I thought it was amazing to see him kind of have that that coming out party, um, so to speak, against Memphis, against a team that, you know, yes, they're struggling right now. And this was before that they fired uh, Coach David Fisdale. This is a team that had Mike Conley out and Portland needed to win. It's never going to be pretty against Memphis. You play them 10 times, you maybe beat them once by 10 mm. or so. Like it's just it's just that type of team where it, it's ugly. It's I mean it's grit and grind Didn't for a Rio reason, have a good game like it? It was um it was Mario yeah. Chalmers who had uh 21 points, 6 rebounds and 6 assists. You also had Tyreek Evans again. 7 to 15 from the floor, 20 points, probably a lock for the the first quarter of the season, uh, sixth man Mark of the year. Mark took too many threes, though, and that's where we started pushing ahead, was because Mark would settle for the open three when he could have bullied Nurkic in the post, because I remember him doing that. Shit, this is eight days ago, so I'm trying to remember, but I remember Nurk getting really aggressive in the post, or oh, Mark Saul getting really aggressive in the post, and... uh Nurk not being able to handle it, and then he just started shooting threes, and all of a sudden the Blazers started getting a closing in on the lead and then taking it. So Nurk put or Marcus All put up eight three pointers, hitting three. That's a thirty eight percent. That's not bad, but he had nineteen points, twelve boards, seven assists, two blocks, and a steal. I don't want him out there shooting threes. I think you're taking all of the pressure off of the defense and us. You're you're letting them off the hook. And that's where I I see the benefit for, for big men shooting threes. I think it's good if they're able to do it in spot-up scenarios. 
But for the most part, I want them on the block punishing the other bigs because that's how you get them in foul trouble. Uh, you have a higher percentage chance of it going in. And it's it's just demoralizing when you back down a defender and you go to work on them. There's nothing they can do to stop you. It's it's almost just like, I mean, I don't really even know what, it's just almost like, I got to move on. I don't know. It's just demoralizing is all I can say. It's like when you're, when you run in, in football, you have a power running offense like a Stanford and a Nebraska back in the day, you know what's coming, but you can't stop it. And it just runs that clock down. And there's, it's, it's why when you play the Grizzlies and you're down six points, it feels like you're down 12. I mean, it's just, it's, it's such an uphill battle. So for us to get that first win was, was really nice. Um, in the Brooklyn game, this was where our big three really showed out. I mean, you had CJ going for 26 points on 10 of 19 shooting. You had Dame going for 34 points, nine assists, uh, four boards. He was also 10 of 19 shooting. Nurk, 29 points, 15 boards, four blocks, 12 of 19 shooting. Arguably his best performance of the season and vindication for Terry Stotts benching him in the first game against the Brooklyn Nets back in Portland for nearly the entire fourth quarter. You said it before, bigs give Brooklyn problems. We couldn't stop them. They had it rolling without D'Angelo Russell and without um, Jeremy Lin. I mean, Damari Carroll looks like the Atlanta Damari Carroll. Damari Carroll, man. And Spencer Dinwiddie is pretty damn impressive as well. He had 23-6. and six. And they just really play with a lot of movement. And for whatever reason, they just give us mm. some problems. But our big three really stepped up. And, you know, that's what they're there for. It was the first time I think our big three had really put it all together. And it was special. So, I mean, all of the talk in the offseason was Nurk is looking great. He's in the best shape of his life. Aren't, it Didn't he slim down for in order to play against teams that go small, because he was a liability last year against teams that kind of went small. He lost the weight, so he can do it. That first time, he didn't get the chance to because of the fourth quarter, but now he can. I think with how he lost all that weight, we have to at least see what he can do against these teams that go small. And the Brooklyn Nets are the fastest-paced team in the NBA. There's no one that goes faster than them. If he can do it against them... He lost all this weight for a reason. It is to play these games, and he played that game and played it well. And it was a game we had to have. I mean, you're staring down the barrel of, I think it possibly goes a 1-4 road trip if you lose that game. You're already 1-1. You, you got drubbed in Philly the day before Thanksgiving, and you lose to the Brooklyn Nets for the second time in less than a month. Then you're going on the road against Washington and a hot New York team at home. There's a very real probability you're staring at one and four, and now you're fighting for the eighth spot instead of coming home four and one. So it's nice to see Portland finally starting to close out these close games. We had so many difficulties doing that early on in the season, and frankly, we gave away some games that we should have should have won. We should have wrapped up, signed, sealed, and delivered. Memphis, CJ had a game-winning shot that goes in 80% of the time, just fell off. Uh, Blake Griffin hits that three because CJ missed a free throw. Um, Dame didn't close out on Blake. So you've got things that all started to seem like it was just not going to bounce our way this year. 
all of a sudden you win a close game against Brooklyn, and then you have this massive comeback against the Wizards. And so this game was on at the exact same time as the Civil War. So I recorded both the Civil War and and um, the Wizards game. I started watching the Civil War and would you know change back and forth, and then would watch all through halftime. Um, this was right when it was start of the fourth quarter and I was like I kept seeing the score we we would get close and they would run it back up and we were down like seven I mean 13 11 points and just watching it probably expecting a loss you know it's on the road even though John Wall wasn't there it was a tough arena for us to play in and all of a sudden we just start making a run like Nurk's going to work um, Dame's going to work, then all of a sudden CJ catches fire, and it was just one of those games where we were so amazingly efficient on offense. Every play was beautifully run and executed. We were getting so many gorgeous looks at the at the basket. I mean, you had Dame going for twenty nine, CJ for twenty six. Uh, Pat chipped in mm-hmm. with twelve points. Uh, Noah had almost a double double at eight and ten, and. It was just one of those games, like, you win some games yeah, you shouldn't like win, and you lose, you get- yeah, and you lose some games, you know, that you shouldn't have. So, this was almost like, exactly, karma, a, a balance mm. that made up for that, maybe for that Clippers game. Now, I still think we have a couple of more games to make mm. up for it, uh, for a couple of the games, but it was nice to see that we just didn't mm. quit. And it probably made up for and- the Markeith loss last year. That's exactly what it was, and I think I tweeted that out. Um, when Bradley Beal got that shot off, I was like, "That was in," and then it hits the hits the back rim, and I was like, "It's gonna bounce it." It's, it it just it felt like time stopped, mm. dude. I mean, for a regular season game, I can't believe like how just intense that shot was, and then it rims out. I mean, that's the equivalent to CJ shot against Memphis, but you know, I think there might be a little uh karma to that because Markeith Morris hit the game winner in Portland last year but he stepped out of bounds and it wasn't called so that happened in overtime but you know I'll gladly take this this iteration of of the game but I just thought it showed a lot of a lot of will on Portland's part and this was the second game of Pat Connaughton's newly newly identified role coming into the game as the starting small forward. He did play pretty well against Brooklyn, but only stayed on the court for 15 minutes. He actually started to get some run. He played 37 minutes. And I don't know if he is the long-term solution up for the small forward, but more I see him play, especially with regular rotation players and superstar back. He deserves to be there. There's there's a spot for him in the league, Sage. I mean, he's never going to be a great defender at that position. He's just not long enough. He's not athletic enough. But on offense, he is just so fundamentally sound. He has a very high IQ. He, I can't count the amount of times I've seen him make the correct cut and get a wide open, just a layup or dunk. I mean, especially with Nurk running that offense. And then he's just, he's not hesitating when he's when he's out there on the perimeter. And he's got a really nice stroke. And I think that's what we've missed, especially from Evan Turner. Evan Turner's not going to hit hit anything from, from downtown. And Mo Harkless just has not been able to find the, the range this year. So it's been really imperative to get that production there. And I, I kind of want your take on this. But it's felt like 
I couldn't put my finger on it. Were we running enough plays for Mo Harkless, or was he just not being aggressive enough? Was his shot not worthy of getting, you know, was his percentage just not worthy of getting more attempts at the basket? And, and I could never figure it out. But then I see Connaughton, and he's not really getting plays ran for him. He's just making it happen. He's he's not standing in the corner like Mo is. I, I have a hard time believing that Terry would say, Mo, you, you stand in the corner. No, Pat, you move around. So what is your take? Is what, what do you take on a couple things? One, Pat as the three, how long does it stay? Um, should How many minutes should he continue to get? And and two, what does this say about Will Harkless? I, I think Pat definitely deserves the minutes, but there's some matchups where he just absolutely cannot be the starting three. So it might be a matchup dependent, but he definitely deserves minutes. But, I mean, size is a factor in the NBA, and he's not really small forward size. So when the, we're playing against... Carmelo or one of those big wings we can't afford to have them but against most wings I feel okay with it um I don't know man it's I I can't imagine Terry Stotts is telling Mo Arkless you cannot move so maybe it's something he heard maybe it's just what he thinks is best I I don't know what's up with Mo Arkless I mean I've I've I wanted him to watch Tony Hallen cut tapes for the last few weeks, just so there's some movement. I mean, it, there are times this year where players don't even look at him. One back cut, and it changes the entire defense. Like, they, there are games where R- R- Russell Wellsbrook was on him, and he was just look ball-watching. you got to be able to move, and if he's not doing it, Something is wrong. I don't know if it's on Terry Stotts or on Mo Harkless himself, but something is wrong with having an athlete like Mo Harkless and putting him in the corner. It's not really fair. I'm starting to think he's a small ball four, but he can't get those minutes, so he has to play the three here. I I just don't get what's, what's up with him, man. I mean, you're talking about him watching Tony Allen cut tapes. He has a front row seat at Pat Connaughton, who's putting on a clinic in my opinion, of, of how to move without the basketball. Um, the Nick game was brilliant. I mean, seven of nine, three or four from downtown, 17 points. I mean, he had those back-to-back plays where Nurk had the ball at the top of the key and was either getting just, you know, running simple back cuts, rim running, and, and getting easy alley-oops or, or dunks. And, you know, Pat is, I don't think we give him enough credit for being a good shooter. He is not a good shooter. He's a great shooter statistically. He is shooting 46% from three-point range on nearly three-point attempts. How many attempts? Oh, okay. So a little less than Alan Crabb did last year. Yeah, he's shooting 48% from the floor as, you know, a 2-3, which not too shabby. And I kind of expect those numbers uh, to go up as he keeps getting more looks at, at the rim, but... I've been really impressed, and this is coming from someone who was even debating whether we should pick mm, up his $1 million yeah. option. Um, there have been times in the preseason where I'd say, you know, I would just cut him now. Like, he did not show me anything. I kind of dumbfounded as to where we are right now, as to where he was, not even in Summer League, but in, in the preseason. Like, that first game in Phoenix, it was almost just like a flip was switched. And I'm, I will be the first to say I was wrong. Like, he looks like a legit NBA player. And I think Portland's only fear now is, oh God, do we? What do we pay him in the off season now if he continues like this? Because it's going to be another Allen Crab, not to the extent, but it's going, but it's going to be that restricted free agent 
you know, d- dilemma. Like, can we find somebody like this in the draft, or do you want to let, you know, do you want to let homegrown talent leave, or do you want to keep that consistency? Um, they've been burned a, more than a couple times, I would say, but I think we're far, far and away from making any sort of reasonable decision on that. I think we need to continue to look at Pat over the course uh, of the season. I mean, God, we're, we're still in November, um, just a quarter of the season uh, through. So there's still plenty of time, but I've been really impressed with with Pat. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we are playing better as a team. I know last podcast, we were talking about what's wrong with Nurkic. Like, what? why can't, like, what's going on with the big man? And he really came out and had a dud of a game against Memphis. 3 of 13, 10 points, 7 boards, completely dominated by Marc Gasol, just in every aspect of the game. He looked like Jokic when Nurkic goes up against Jokic. That's how, how, it, how it looked from my end, just completely outmatched. And then he started to get it going in Brooklyn. You mentioned the 29 points. He has 17 points and 5 boards. Uh, four assists, three blocks uh, against Washington. And then he had almost a triple-double against the Knicks in 30 minutes. You know, 12 points, nine rebounds, six assists. So he's racked up 13 assists over his last three games. That is almost five assists per game. And that is something we both talked about as to get him more involved in the offense because I think at this stage in his career, He's still a little sloppy with the basketball, with his back to the basket, and he rushes things a little bit. So I think we have to limit his back to the basket opportunities, look for him more in the pick and roll or in the pick and pop. But he's much more than just a scorer. I mean, we've seen this. He's really impacted our defense, but he's such a great passer. And that's where I don't know if it was a a conscious effort by the coaching staff to get him in position, but I've, I've really enjoyed watching him just make amazing passes from the top of the key, really spreading out the floor. And it's really benefited Pat Connaughton. So, I mean, I think we're finding players that play really well with Nurkic. Obviously, Vonley does on the defensive end and cleans up the glass. But Pat is now opening up the floor for Damon CJ. Because if you have Nurkic now with the ball, your defenders aren't leaving Damon CJ. And so then that really spaces that floor. So if you get just get one move, you've got Noah there, you've got Pat, and uh, it's really worked. Do you think that Stotts and company are going to continue to utilize Nurkic the way we've seen over the course of this road trip? I think he will. He's going to have the ball in his hand in the high post. But what worries me is when he was in Denver, he would turn the ball over a third of the time he had the ball in his hands. So I I think there's a limit to how much Nurk can produce and we got to stay under the limit. I don't want to push it so much where he makes bad decisions and throws the ball into tight windows like he's been known to do. I mean, we've seen it this year where he throws these razor thin margin of error passes and it just turns into a turnover for the, for us. So I, I, I would like to see it. But there cannot he we can't run an offense through it. It just has to be a part of it. That I mean, the success is great, but putting so much pressure on him is kind of nerve wracking to me. I mean, there's only so much bigs can do. I mean, you look what New Orleans is trying with Boogie, and it's kind of a failure. 
with when he's just throwing so many turnovers. So we can't put it at that level, but right now I feel fine with it. Yeah, I definitely feel more comfortable with him with the ball in his hands facing the basket than dribbling with his back to the basket. I feel like that's more of the turnover machine that we've seen a lot this year, and I think he's doing a better job of cutting down those risky um, high room for air passes like he was known to do in Denver and last year in Portland. But you're right. Like, I, I don't think we should put too much of a It's burden. a complimentary piece, not the f- main function of the offense. I, I kind of have a question for you. What do you think of the Dave Fisdale firings? That firing. I saw that tweet and immediately sent it to my coworker, Ian, on Slack. and just like, what, 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 all caps. I, I couldn't believe it myself. Um, Memphis has Mike Conley injured. That is their floor general. That is the heart and soul of that franchise for the last, you know, mm. ten years. Yes, I, I get it. They've lost. They've lost eight games. They're they're seven and twelve. But for a team that prides themselves on making the playoffs, guess what? You're one game in the lost column out of the eighth seed right now. So life is not over. I mean, the sky is not falling. I know their goal. They're never going to be a team that tanks. What I don't understand is why they are firing a coach 19 games into a season when nothing catastrophic happened. You benched, okay, you benched Mark, Mark Gasol, who, who is, uh, I will, he's not a superstar. He, he's a really, really good player. He's, he's an all-star caliber player. You bench him in the fourth quarter. I was pretty upset that Terry Stotts did that to Yusuf Nurkic, but I, I would never have fired him the next day after. Um, I, you know, you give him a chance to, to, to write, write the ship, and he did. He didn't bench him the next time we played the Denver or the Brooklyn Nets. I just think there were some underlying it's a players issues going on. I, I've heard, at least on Twitter, that the relationship between Fisdale and Marcus Sol wasn't the best, and people are speculating this was an ownership decision that basically chose Gasol over Fisdale. But this isn't the first time that the Memphis Grizzlies have made a head scratching. Yeah, Lionel move. Hollins. Lionel Hollins got let go. Dave Yeager got let go. Uh, now Fisdale got let go. All really talented coaches who have brought, I would say, a not really sexy Memphis Grizzly roster to, to prominence. I, I believe Lionel Hollins took them to the conference finals one year. I mean, they were doing this with Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, and Marc Gasol. Not necessarily the the big three of Kevin McHale, Robert Parrish, and Larry Bird. I mean, l- let's let's be real. The roster was never, you know... You, they have been it, it looking for that small any, forward for years and never got it, man. Their their wings have been always you know subpar. They they really have never had a superstar that they could just take over a game. Yes, they they played with a style and a culture of the grit and grind, but they won more than I thought. They should have that yeah. franchise probably should have. And for them to continue to fire coaches is it's mm. questionable. And now, if you're a player, do you go there knowing your coach could get let go? Or they're not, they're going to have a hard time getting another coach mm-hmm. in there. My my thing is. As soon as that happened, I looked on Twitter, and Jameel McMillan, Nate McMillan's son, tweeted, it's a player's league. So they obviously picked Mark Gasol over Fisdale. My question is, and it's mostly to you, 
because I don't know the culture surrounding the Blazers like you. Is there a chance we can bring him in as an advisory role and have him take, like, help? We cannot offer him an assistant coaching job because he's getting paid by Memphis, but we could offer him an advisor role. Kind of like how Danny Ferry in New Orleans or uh, Jerry West in uh, the LA Clippers. Would you have any interest in that? And is it possible at all? Interest? Hell yes. I think Fizdale's a great coach. When you have the likes of LeBron James and Dwayne Wade having your back, you're doing something right. I mean, he made, he turned, you know, lemons into lemonade last season with the Grizzlies, and he was doing it again this year for a while up until Conley got hurt. Um, they they have wins over the Warriors. They beat the Rockets twice. They did this with, with losing Vince Carter, with losing Zach Randolph, a broken down Chandler Parsons, losing Tony Allen. I mean, they've lost so many pieces, and yet they, they let him go. So he's obviously a very talented coach. So I would have a lot of a lot of interest in bringing him on as as an advisor. But do I think it's possible? Yeah, it's possible. Likely, probably not. Terry Stott seems like the type of person who's set with his coaching staff, and I don't blame him. Usually, you know, you're you you ride or die with your guys. And so right now I don't believe they think there's a glaring weakness. I would love for them to bring him on as an advisory role. Um I think you could learn a lot from him, especially the defensive aspect, yes, I know we're playing good defense, but I mean, this is the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, this is a culture based upon defense. So not only bring in Fizdale, but can we bring in a big man coach as well, mm-hmm. too? So, I mean, I as soon as he got fired, I was like, he is going to get hired as, an, as a, a consultant or an advisor somewhere in the league because he's so well-respected. He's one of those guys I wanted a, as an assist, uh, as the head coach of the Pelicans. That's one of my guys. So the fact that he is a free agent right now, shit, someone should pick him up. There are a lot of teams that should fire their coach right now and hire him right now. Could you imagine what the Pelicans could do with fucking him and the assistant coaches they have? Oh, dude. Yeah, the Pelicans are, I would, I would give up Alvin Gentry in a hot hot minute. So, I mean, when there's people, when there's a guy like that on the free agent market, Someone who works for the Blazers, just talk to Neil and be like, you know, he's pretty good. He's a pretty smart guy. He would would look great in Rip City Black and Red. Around the NBA, another team kind of heading in the wrong direction are the Los Angeles Clippers. Yes, they have won three straight, but Patrick Beverly is out for the year. Uh, Milos is, is still hurt. Gallo is out. And now Blake Griffin has an MCL sprain or strain, which could sideline him for up to eight weeks. And there are rumors that they're looking to trade DeAndre Jordan because he has a player option and could be a free agent at the end of the season. What would you do if you were the Clippers? Would you move? You can't move Blake. Uh-huh. I don't think you can move him with that that contract right now. Um, he signed that mega five-year deal, which is going to pay him at $1.39 million a season. But... You've got to get what you can get for DeAndre, right? I'd be calling the Cavs every day for that Nets pick. I know it might not be as good as you once thought, but their pick, they, them sucking and then having another pick in the first round might help, you know. But if you're the Cavs, DeAndre doesn't help you beat the Warriors, though. No. No, and that's, I think, 
there are certain situations where you're better than everybody else except for one team. You need to find guys that are going to help you beat that one team. I don't think, one, DeAndre is that guy, and two, I don't think he's the Cal- He's good enough to warrant that top seven pick, wherever that Brooklyn pick might lie. But we have heard they are looking, they possibly Tristan Thompson for, for DeAndre, but... You would you would move DeAndre if you were I mean, the Clippers. Got to get something for he's the type of player you got to get something for. But I, who is the GM? It it is not uh, Doc anymore. Who, no, I think it's Jerry West. I think he's a consultant. I don't think he's the official guy. Okay, because he had that role with uh, the Warriors where he consulted, not actually was the guy actually doing the signings, but went. When you when you spend money, well, when you trade CP and get uh, Pat Beverly back, who's an injury prone player, and then you sign Dano to a pretty big contract, who's an injury risk, and then you have Blake Griffin, who also is an injury risk, you kind of deserve what you get when you offer those players that kind of money and get they all get injured at the same time. It's kind of on the GM for spending the, that all that money on the injury risk players. I get it for Blake because he's a star. Gallinari seemed like a bad, just because he's never played an entire season healthy. It was it wasn't the best move. So I don't really feel bad about the Clippers because you you. It's not like Dano played eighty two every year but got hurt this year. He he's this is a proven track record of him getting hurt every year. So the one team that had their way with the Blazers and we we thought it could get ugly and it was was the Philadelphia 76ers and we were kind of texting during the game and it was kind of I think it's going to become a debate Ben Simmons or or Greek Freak both are 6'10 players who essentially act as their team's point guards especially Simmons um, neither can shoot from the outside, especially Simmons. I mean, Simmons doesn't even attempt a shot outside of the paint. But both impact the game in a way that I haven't seen since Magic. And it has absolutely everything to do with their court vision and their height at the position. Sage, we had absolutely no answer for Ben Simmons. And I feel like he is going to be the Eastern Conference version of LeBron pretty quick where the East is going to go through whichever team he's on because he provides such a unique matchup every single night where I couldn't believe he was still able to get to his spots even though players knew he wasn't going to shoot until he got two feet from the basket. I didn't know he was, I knew he was good. I didn't know he was this good. Yeah, I mean, he was a fucking problem. Now, do you think if we had Aminu, he would have stopped him a little bit that game? Just based on his athleticism and so- He got anywhere, every, any and everywhere he fucking wanted to go, man. He was such a problem. And then having him, pairing him with Embiid, if they're healthy, that team's scary. All that shooting, but like surrounding him too? I mean, having JJ and Robert Covington and shit man like having all dario can hit a three like having all that shooting next to ben simmons because he doesn't fuck with that shit oh that's a scary looking team i didn't think they would be good this year i didn't just because 
you know, LSU wasn't a good defensive team, and it was a lot on because of Ben Simmons. And same with Fultz. Neither of them made the tourney. But man, Ben Simmons, he's a bad motherfucker. Yeah, and I would, so if you were a GM, and you could choose one player right now, you get them at their current age, current contract, you can have Greek Freak, or you can have Ben Simmons to start your team. Current you contract is Ben Simmons just because he's on that rookie scale, and I can control his rights for, he's a rookie now. Or did that year he was out, did that count on his contract or not? Okay, whatever, he's still on the rookie scale, so I can control him longer. You that that risk with Giannis where he could bolt because he's he was drafted in thirteen, so he's probably on a second contract. I would have picked Ben Simmons. Okay, so contract aside, who you pick? This is a tough one, man. I know because Greek Freak is the safe bet because you've seen him ascend and you think he's got an extra level, but. I don't like that he went after his coach and basically said, like, I'll fuck you up. I, I I don't know all of the situation, but that's never a good sign, regardless of... I mean, obviously, it does matter what happened, but from the outside looking in, it doesn't look great. But he is so amazing. So it's tough. I think Freak is always going to be the better scorer. I think he's going to be the better defender. But Simmons has that ability, like Magic Johnson, to change the pace of the game and the tempo. He could shoot three times and affect the game more than any other player on the court, just with his vision and presence. I mean, those rumors of Greek Freak having arthritic knees kind of scare me. When, like, looking over the offseason rumor mills and all that shit, you saw that. Ben Simmons just had that playmaking ability that, man, it's tough to find someone that tall and that good and willing to pass. I mean, they're both very special, and whoever has them on their team should be very happy about it, but I might, taking contracts aside, I might go Greek Freak, but it's, I mean, it's like a... It's a good answer either way. It's a good problem to have if you're choosing between Ben Simmons and the Greek Freak. I might lean towards Simmons just because he has been in the league less. So I think he's, if it's this close and he still has room to grow, I know Freak obviously has room to grow, but I think there might be a little bit even more untapped potential. Like if Simmons ever does get even a decent outside shot, like he might be unguardable. He doesn't rely on athleticism. I think the numbers he's putting up as a rookie are so scary good that you're you're thrilled, thrilled to death if you're a Sixer fan. Like I'm honestly thankful that they didn't take Porzingis in 2015 and that they didn't take Jason Tatum last year because Fultz is hurt and didn't really even look that great when he played. And Jaleel Okafor can't even get off the bench, and they're in. It's just a nasty dispute in the news whether he's going to buy him out or get traded for a second round pick. And yet they are still the fifth best team in the Eastern Conference record wise, and could even move up. I could see them fighting for the four seed this year. They're definitely going to make the playoffs. So just because of Simmons and, and Embiid, obviously they've got some good role players like Covington and Sarge that you mentioned, but those two are really the catalyst. So 
I think the rest of the NBA needs to be thanking their lucky stars. They didn't hit even more home runs with, with those draft picks. Um, we talked about this at the beginning of the show, Sage, but Portland looked amazing against the New York Knicks in that third quarter. Uh, they bumped, I believe, a 16-point halftime lead up to 26, and they looked like everything was locked and loaded and, and just signed, sealed, delivered, 4 and one road trip. Let's let's get the hell out of here. They didn't score like a point seven minutes, until right? like the... Like like six minutes, and it was a free throw. They didn't get a field goal for like. They like fucking with our emotions, man. That Sage, that was probably outside of Game Seven of the 2000 NBA uh, Western Conference Finals, mostly due to the uh, the um the intensity and how much you know clout that that game had and, and meant to Blazer fans everywhere. Just the magnitude of it. Outside of that game, that the the quarter we just witnessed might have been the worst quarter of Trailblazer basketball I can ever remember watching. Nobody wanted to shoot the ball. We we didn't even get up shot attempts. Um, we were missing wide open, just just threes. I mean, we we brought in our starters to see if they could you know help help the process at all. I mean, we're thankful we were playing the Knicks and that Porzingis was benched for half of that quarter. Um, if, if, I think if they put in Michael Beasley any earlier, that could have gotten even more scary. Like I was thankful that our lead was that large and that time just was on our side. For for once, time helped us out because I was sweating bullets. B. I texted you saying we're gonna blow this one, huh? Like that, like we've we've had quarters like that this year. Remember the Raptors' first quarter? We've had quarters. Oh, I, I was, I was there. We've had oh, quarters yes. where we just look absolutely awful. Everything isn't, nothing is working. That, I mean, that's shit, that's just scary, man. Because it's happened multiple times where we like break the record for longest drought. It's fucking insane. I'm happy we got the win, but man, that fourth quarter was brutal. How did you like seeing Blazer great Jarrett Jack run run the show for an NBA team in 2017? I was watching the game with Olga, and she's like, wait, Jarrett Jack is still in the league? I was like, yeah, he's still going. I mean, good for him. He's, he's still got a solid mid, mid-range jumper. He had I mean, a brutal injury last year. Yeah, he did. I mean, Neil Aquina is not ready to run the show. Jarrett Jack's a great vet who's going to show him the ropes. Um... But I, I think this was the perfect thing to happen to the Blazers. You blow out the Knicks, you come home four and one, you're feeling real good. You got a couple days off before you try and, you know, exact some revenge against uh the Milwaukee Bucks from Portland's first loss uh, of the season. But now you have a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. You still got that win which counts in, in the record books, but I'm certain that they left the arena and when they boarded the plane to get back home to Portland, they weren't feeling so hot. I mean, they were just like, man, that was a pretty crummy performance. I mean, we almost blew that game. We've got work to do. And I think that's what keeps the great teams great. They know that they can't rest on their laurels and that yet 4-1 and one is great. But, okay, we got four games at home now. And we got to handle business. So I think... This was a blessing in disguise that that 13 point, which 
really was padded towards the end of free throws, that awful fourth quarter is going to do Portland, I think, uh, a solid going into this upcoming homestand. Hmm. I didn't like it, obvious. But, I mean, I get what you're saying, but I still wish it didn't happen. I mean, that's just the optimism and optimist in you looking for the for the, uh, the 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 good news in the story where we looked absolutely awful in the fourth quarter. So, pro- I mean, props to you for thinking of that because I, I was just I want to forget about that fourth quarter, bro. All right, let's take a quick break for our sponsors, then let's get into some fan questions, and we will talk about the upcoming homestand for the Trailblazers. For you, the listeners of the Holy Backboard Podcast, Team Snap is offering a free 21-day trial. Team Snap is every coach and parent's dream. An easy-to-use, indispensable tool for organizing and communicating every aspect of team life. Sign up for a free 21-day trial in 30 seconds or subscribe to a premium package with added features like unlimited photos and file storage and customization unique to their team. TeamStep also provides a free Android and iPhone app so teams can be managed on the go. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Holy Backboard Podcast. Dustin and Sage here. Sage, let's get into some fan questions. Up first, our good buddy Brandon uh, at GoldnerPDX wants to know, uh, Aminu, Vonley, and Davis are all averaging career highs and rebounds. When Aminu returns, whose rebounding will be affected the most? Vonley, Davis, or Aminu himself? Are we assuming Aminu starts at the three? I would assume so, yes. So wouldn't it be uh, Vonley because they both will be fighting for rebounds? I don't think Chief is going to play the three since Evan Turner and Cotton t- uh, Pat are there. So I guess Vonley, but isn't having more rebounders a good thing? I don't... <laughs> Well, I think you're going to have more re- more rebounders is always a good thing, but there's only still one basketball. So somebody's numbers are going to have to go down. I don't think it will be Noah Vonley. He's played with uh, Aminu and, and York before. Uh, he's the one that grabs the, re- the rebounds. I mean, he's the one that makes everyone look good. He's just has a knack for, for the ball. He's got the, those long arms. Uh, he always finds himself in the right position. Um, and he rarely, you know, knock on wood, commits over the back fouls or silly off the ball fouls this season uh, going after those boards. So then I think you look at Ed Davis and then Aminu. In the short term, I think it's going to be Aminu because Ed Davis is going to continue to get first big off the bench minutes. So his his boards, I think, might even, might even increase. Um, I think it might be Aminu himself, especially for moving over to the three. Uh, traditionally, the the bigger you are, the more rebounds you get. I mean, I know there's obviously exceptions to that rule, but um, I just don't know if he'll be on pos- in position, uh, given his position on the court, to get those extra rebounds. So I would say Aminu, but then as we go into the season, if we start playing Swanigan or even Collins, that might take some time away from Ed Davis, but that wasn't really part Wouldn't of the it? question. I would say, what I would about say Aminu. Nurkic? Isn't Alfarouk coming back in a less than Nurkic's amount of rebounds that he can get? Um, That's a possibility, but he only asked if it was Aminu, Vonley, yeah. and Davis. But I, I trust Alfaruk Aminu to get me rebounds. Like, that, is, I mean, 
number one, if someone asks me about Alfaruk Aminu's positives, he's a great rebounder. That's number one. So I don't see him, like, all of a sudden not getting boards. Because he's gotten 20 rebounds as a small forward before. He can do it. I think I think it's going to affect Nurkic, which isn't part of the question, but... Yeah, yeah like, he wasn't part but, of the question. You no, know, he's not... Nurkic isn't the biggest rebounder. So I I, I can't see Alfaruk just all of a sudden not being... We're not, we're not saying he's not going to, but... If you lose 0.4 rebounds a game, you lose point. That's not a, a huge number. I mean, we're still talking about one of the those three losing. I, I would go with with AFA, Chief Aminu. All right, next question from Marissa uh, Brotherton at Miss, Mrs. She Bro. follows me on Twitter. She wants now. to know. What's up to that? <laughs> you got to be team follow back though. That's all uh, I got to say. You see how many followers? Uh, how many follows I got, bro? I just, I just try and get the people to follow back. They don't, they don't fuck with that rule. Uh, she wants to know what's going on with Mo. He only scored three points against the Knicks and just looks like he has lost all of his confidence. It's really weird because I thought Mo had. I can't remember what game it was. It might have been Brooklyn when he. Didn't get the start, but he had a couple of possessions where he played really good defense. Had a couple. He blocks. played okay and against the Knicks too. Didn't he have a few steals and then the pick and roll where Shabazz found him on the cut? I guess it wasn't a pick and roll, but Shabazz found him on the cut in transition and he dunked it and got a foul. So he had he had I two mean, good moments in uh, a steal. He he something's wrong. Yeah, with but him. he he played he played sixteen minutes, took four shots, made one, missed all of his three point attempts. He did have that and one. Three steals, which I think you're probably remembering, which I remember as well, and a block. So he did little things, but offensively, I do agree with Marissa. I think he has lost nearly all of his confidence. I I don't know where it happened. I don't know why it happened. uh, Because that first game of the year, he was a beast Mm, against Josh Jackson. He he was... He looked like, okay, this dude's going to be first team all defense. Like, let's just lock in the ballot right now because he was that's where he was focusing his effort and energy. I don't know if something happened in his personal life that's, that's affecting him on the court. I mean, we got to remember these guys are people too. And if you have a bad day at home, it can transfer over to the office I mean, and vice versa. So, I I guess long, long story short, yeah, he, he's lost his confidence and I don't know how he'll get it back because Chief's going to come back and Chief's going to start at the three probably. Pat's definitely moved ahead of him in the rotation. Uh, given his ball handling skills, Evan Turner's always going to play. And then you've got Shabazz Napier and Ed Davis who, given their respective positions, do one thing exceptionally well. Baz gets buckets, Davis gets boards. And so now you're looking at a scenario where he's now the 10th or 11th man off the bench. Um he's almost going to go into Myers territory where is he even going to get in the game? Um, is he just a matchup player now? And that's even harder for a player to break out of a rhythm. Traditionally, you know, you need to play those, those big minutes and, and see if you can bust out, but guys ahead of him are playing better and wore those minutes. So I think it's going to be later rather than sooner that we see Mo Harkless revert back to the Mo Harkless that, that we know and love. And I just, I haven't seen the the cutting, the off the ball movement, just the overall nastiness from Mo. Like he's been finishing his dunks, 
but like we get one of those plays and then it just goes back to like he's invisible on the court. Uh, so I pulled up his uh, game logs. He's had 18 games where he scored zero to nine points and only three where he scored 10 or more points, 10 to 19. So he hasn't really had one of those games where like, you know, the opposing team's not even thinking Mo Harkless is going to dominate them. He's been pretty consistently shitty. Or consistently bad, which upsets me because Mo Harkless is probably one of my favorite players on the team, but for whatever reason, this year does not mesh with what Mo Harkless is doing. Do you think he is the most likely traded Blazer this year? No, and I'll tell you why. Two words, expiring contract. Ed Davis has that. He also has a unique skill in the NBA where he is just a beast on the glass, glass, especially on the offensive boards. Portland is playing well right now, but Neil O'Shea is a long-term thinker. I would be very surprised if Portland wanted to add Ed Davis as a player with a long-term contract when they have Noah Vonley, who is up for restricted free agency. Noah is, I think, six or seven years younger. Um, is already starting, and I think he's just he's a be- Ed is a small five. Noah's a traditional four, and I think that still matters in in today's league. We see Ed kind of get bullied by by those by those bigger guys. Um, and then you also have Zach Collins and Biggie Swanigan, who you drafted in a loaded draft, and you still have Myers Leonard for insurance for at least two extra seasons after this year. Alfruit can play four. Mo can play some four in a pinch. So you have so much, almost an embarrassment of riches in terms of just either potential or already current players. Oh, and Nurkic is a free agent. So so you have already, I think, higher priorities at, at the big man level in terms of either potential with, with Swanigan and Collins and in terms of free agency with, with Bonley and Nurkic. So Ed Davis is my guy who I really think they might look to move unless... The only way they don't trade Ed Davis is if we are really trending up. We're talking like three seed. Ed's really playing well and the team's clicking. And I think maybe they look to bring him back and then they say, okay, Ed's just too valuable. What can we get for Caleb? Or what can we get for Zach? Um, That's one way I could see us keeping Ed is if we just start playing out of our minds. But it would have to take that. Otherwise, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to carry that many bigs. And then, you know, you're already fighting the luxury tax. I mean, Ed's just, you know, an extra $8 million that's just, you know, coming off coming off the books. Or if you can get anything at the deadline, you know, I don't want to get rid of him. I We love Ed Davis, but it's just almost like a victim of the depth chart. Like he had the, the expiring contract at the wrong year. Like if we could have said this for Myers or, or Swanigan or whoever, if they had an expiring deal. I, I I definitely agree that Ed probably is the most likely, but I could definitely see a world where Moharkless gets traded at the deadline for something. But what, what is that something? So if I'm a opposing GM, I'm looking at Harkless's contract and saying he's got two and a half years left, 10 mil per season. He's looked awful this year. Here, here's a second round pick and maybe uh, the same contract, contract type player. Like, I just don't know if they're going to get anything of value for Hart. I mean, right his, now. You, con- his, his value is at an all time low. 
And that's where you're struggling if you're Neil Olshay because you want to get him minutes and see him perform well, but what message does that send to the team when they've got players ahead of him? Outperforming him, but you can't build up somebody's value if they're sitting there on the bench. In fact, it's doing the opposite. It's deteriorating. Deteriorating. So it's really a catch-22 for Neil Olshay and... Um, I think if Harkless gets moved, it's in the offseason. I just think right now is you do not want to sell this low but on But I think though. because of what Mo Harkless is, and that's a small forward, teams will pay more for a wing than they will for a big or a guard. So lucky that he plays that position group that is so in demand in this version of the NBA. So his value is low, but if, if he was a guard... And playing this bad, we could get so much less for him. So, if if you're Olshay, you put Mo Harkless on on the market. What are you looking for? Any ex- examples of players, types, picks? But I, I know New Orleans would trade Mo Hark- uh trade Aaron Clark for Mo Harkless, and then fit salary around it that you can cut. So it'd basically be Mo Harkless for Ian Clark, stuff like that. I mean, the value is low. But there are teams that would love to have Mo Harkless as their small as their small forward, who have a who play in a fast pace. There just are. I mean, shit. New Orleans starts each one more. They would love to have Mo Harkless. So there, I mean, there's definitely. I mean, there is at least one team that would trade something good for him. I don't know if I'd consider Ian Clark something good for Mo Harkless. Shit, I remember somebody saying Ian Clark would be perfect for this team. <laughs> He would be, but he's not Golden State Ian Clark this year. He's just New Orleans Ian Clark, and that's just average. Oh, dude, Ian Clark. I'm, you know, Ian Clark's played so fucking bad this year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like, but, 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 it's like but, but, those Spurs but, but, players I, who, who get, who get the contract. what I say is, Ian Clark's played awful offensively. Defensively, he's really good. Just, he can't buy a bucket. <laughs> so it sounds like yeah, you're except. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if you can't make the salary work, it's exactly being the same oh, predicament. Man. But I, 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 I honestly hope he gets traded, man. <laughs> he, this, the way we play basketball now just doesn't really work for him. For whatever reason, I don't know what it is. It just doesn't work for him. I mean, after seeing what Pat can do, I just have a hard. Could you time, imagine like, Mo Arkless doing those cuts and stuff that Pat's doing every game? Yes, because he did that yeah. in the Clipper series. He was a beast, and he was attacking the offensive glass with tip dunks and just hitting his corner threes. Like I, I don't know what's wrong. Yes, I would love to see us play at a little bit faster tempo, but you know, after seeing. Some of the mistakes we made, especially in the knit game, there was a three possessions where we went up and down the court and just were jacking threes. They were jacking threes. Dame's like, okay, slow down, pick and roll. Nurkic gets a little push shot from about six feet out that went in, calmed the game down. So for all of us clamoring for the Trailblazers to run more, and I am one of those people, and I still think they should do it a little bit more, but why they don't go full out is because they're reckless. and. You ha- it's, it is such a skill to be able to push tempo and thrive in that scenario where you're not turning the ball over or taking an ill-advised shot. So just keep that in mind when you're like, oh, push the tempo, push the tempo. I mean, 
Sometimes you get what you ask for, and what you get is not pretty. And that's what we saw a couple times against the Knicks. But it would be nice if we push it up a bit more. But Sage, Portland has... So we'll talk about, because the way the schedule falls, we'll talk about two of the four upcoming home games. So their home stand is Thursday against the Bucks at 7, Saturday against your Pelicans at 7, uh, Tuesday against the John Wall, Les Wizards, um, at seven as well, and then Saturday, December 9th, a showdown against the the West leading Houston Rockets, featuring healthy Chris Paul and James Harden. That is a very interesting group of teams that we have coming home to. Um, I don't think there is one gimme in that bunch, but we're just talking about the first two, Milwaukee Bucks. As we mentioned, handled Portland's handled Portland their first loss of the year. Uh, Giannis had forty four. They beat us one thirteen one ten. There was that controversial play towards the end of the game where it looked like he reached around and grabbed CJ to to poke the ball away, leading to the go ahead dunk. Uh, we had a couple of possessions late where we couldn't get good shots off. It could have gone either way. It took really a career high from Giannis to get it done. But they have since added Eric Bledsoe and switched up their starting lineup. They now start um, John Henson and Eric Bledsoe, Gary Payton II, uh, Chris Middleton, and Giannis. When we saw them, I believe it was Thon Maker was in there, Tony Snell was Brogdon. in there, Malcolm Brogdon with with Middleton and, and Giannis. So Middleton and Giannis are the, the two mainstays. They've swapped out 60% of that starting lineup. And I think it's to Portland's benefit because Brogdon really had his he, – he had a nice game. He's a good defender. He's a defender. good player. Um, and Tony Snell. I mean, that, so, that's what did us in. Their, their bench players performed extremely well against before us. Before we get too so heavy I, into this, they only played Gary Payton the second because Giannis was hurt. And now Gary Payton the second is injured. The last game Milwaukee played – they started Bledsoe, Snell, Middleton, Giannis, and John Henson. So GP the, the second yeah. is hurt now. That changes things because I thought Portland could have uh, attacked that matchup. So what Portland did in that first matchup in the first half really well was they built that that shell against Giannis. I mean, it was essentially, you're going to beat us from outside. You're not going to get to where you want to go. They kind of got away from that, and we left him on an island. I believe it was either Aminu, um, I think we tried Evan Turner on him, and he just went to work. I mean, Middleton was the one who is, he is the East Coast version of, of Clay Thompson. I feel like if he has a good game, they're going to beat us, just as whenever Clay Thompson has a good game, the Warrior, the Warriors beat us. I think for Portland, they have to do a good job of, of mm. gang defense. So that means a, a different player at different times has to help out against the freak. And you have to make... So it's a tough predicament at first because you don't want to let him go one-on-one to see if he gets hot. But at the same time, you want to see what type mm. of night he's going to have before you make that decision to leave a shooter like Middleton. Middleton. To, leave, to leave a shooter like Tony Snell. I mean, to leave Eric Bledsoe. So there are just a lot of decisions that go into mm-hmm. the flow of the game, and it's really hard to prepare for a team like this because we don't have anybody who can match up against um, Giannis. I would probably put Noah Vonley on him. 
I guess. I mean, Al Farouk's going to be out this game, right? I would still, if I had to, I would put Vonley on him. I think Vonley is a longer, he's just quicker than Chief. He's he's a great defender. If, if I was casting my vote, he would be at least one of the top two teams for, for all defense. So, I, I, he won't he won't make it because he's he not sexy enough. enough. Get enough. He doesn't sound sexy enough. But pound for pound, show me a better interior defender at the power forward position. It, it's I. He's one of the few outside of Draymond Green that I think stops Anthony Davis. He's one of the few that stops yeah. Blake Griffin. So I mean, like he's a very good defender. But yeah, outside of Draymond Green, I do not think there's a better defender at the four who is as versatile as as Noah, and I think you give him the chance to do what he did against Porzingis, to do that against the Freak. Against Porzingis, he made him work for everything. Uh, The Unicorn had 14 or 22 points, but took 16 shots to get it. He was 6 of 16. Noah was never in foul trouble, and a lot of the shots that that Chris Tapps made were like, that's Mm. just great offense. Like The defense couldn't be any better. I would, I, I would, I would give him Noah. a shot, but Greek Freak's fucking amazing. So I would be, if, if I mean, I, I would give him first shot, but I would be quick to, oh shit, what do we do next if Giannis is going crazy? I mean, what, what, how did you feel about the Eric Bledsoe trade? Because we didn't, we never ad- addressed it since it doesn't really affect the Blazers at all, except for this game right here. What do you think of Eric Bledsoe as a fit on this team? I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, as a Blazer fan, I'm I'm glad we see Eric Bledsoe less. Um, he seems to fits. give us give us fits, but at the same time, Greg Monroe gives us fits. He looks too, and good. He was part he looks of that deal. Good. Greg looks really good. So he's a uh, kind of a big off the bench that gave us trouble. So he's out of there. So. For the Bucks in this game, I think it might be a wash. I think in the future, obviously, Bledsoe is he is a bully ball point guard who can get to the paint, and they have just enough shooting to make it work. Um, Portland's lucky that Della Vadova's out because I think that's an extra shooter they have that they could have at their um, disposal. But the way Snell and Middleton shot the ball last time, that's going to be my key to the game. You're not going to stop. Giannis, I think he's going to have a good game. I think as long as he doesn't have a career night, Portland should have a really good chance at winning, but it's going to come down to those role players like it it was in in Milwaukee. And I really think that Portland, it's just so dependent upon Snell and Middleton and guys like Henson and Brogdon because, I mean, I'm bringing up the box score uh, right now, but it just was... Let's see. I remember them just not missing from their bench. So Henson was three of five. Uh, Teletovic, the though, other right? guy that has the shooting. I don't believe so. He might be. I thought it was just Delhi. Yes, he is I hurt. Remember stuff. So Portland gets a break there. I mean, he had surgery on his right knee and will likely need four weeks to heal. He was a guy that absolutely murdered us. Every time they needed a three, he got it. He was three of four from downtown. Um, oddly enough, the players who aren't playing, Della Vadova and Greg Monroe, combined to shoot one of eight. So they didn't hurt us, but I mean, Tony Snell was seven of eight. Um, Middleton had, had 18. Giannis had 44. Portland, if they are going to win this game, 
just don't if if they if Middleton or Giannis gets it going, just please send the double. I mean, Terry, I, I'm begging you, send the double team. If we adjust on defense, I think we win this game. I think we're a better defensive team than we were to start the year. We didn't have Vonley. I mean, remember, like against the, the Clippers and Blake Griffin, Vonley wasn't there. Against the Bucks and and, and Giannis, Vonley wasn't there. It's going to be interesting to see what he brings. Is he able to at least slow Giannis down a bit? I mean, really, all it would have taken was him missing one or two extra field goals and Portland wins. So the margin for for error was 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 really razor thin in that game. And, you know, a bucket here, a bucket there sways the outcome, which is what I think is going to happen. I think it's going to be another... just going to be a great game. Like, these two teams are so different, but they always play each other so well. And Milwaukee's had the upper hand, but I think the last three or four times they beat us, and especially the last two times in Portland last year and then this year in Milwaukee. They've done it the same way where Portland's got out to the lead, but they have went into the post with, with Middleton and Giannis and just pounded us, and we didn't we didn't double. So we'll see if Jason Kidd goes back to that strategy again. But um, my X factor for Portland is going to be um, Yusuf Nurkic. He had 17 points and 11 boards in 32 minutes against uh, the Bucks in, in Game 1. But that was against Thonmaker, a, a bigger body. He should bully the heck out of John Henson down low. There's no excuse for the offense not to be run uh, through him. And if we can get him going, I think it's going to open up everything for Dame. Dame had a great game opening night against Eric Bledsoe and the Suns. Uh, he always plays well, it feels like, against Bled. So Nurk has to own that matchup against John Henson the way Buck fans believe Giannis should own that matchup against Noah Vonley. I mean, that, that that's just our glaring matchup strength. It just is. There's no, like, I, I, I can make the argument that Middleton could potentially shut CJ down. Bledsoe's a good defender. But there's no way you could tell me that John Henson could handle all that beef down in the post. He's just a he's a skinny man. No, I mean, uh, Nurkic should dominate this game, and if he does, Blazers win. Because if we throw it to Nurk, that means that they have to. They're they're probably playing our pace, and Blazer. And if we play Blazers basketball, we'll probably win this game. It's going to be a tough, close game, but if Nurk does extremely well, we're going to get the win. What's your prediction? I'm with Nurk, and I think we're going to get this win. Whew. So Milwaukee is 10-9. and nine. They've came back down to earth a bit. They're just 6-4 and four in their last 10 and 5-5 five and five on, on the road. I'm going loss for a couple reasons. One... I need to see it before I believe it with the Blazer team against Milwaukee. We just have not been able to beat this team when the the freak has come of age. Um, And two, the first game back from a road trip is essentially a road game and so difficult for teams to win. I don't know if it helps or hurt us that we've had two days off in between. Um, what does help us is we've already played this team once and we have a bitter taste in our mouth about how that ended. So I definitely think it's going down to the wire. It could be another game-winning basket type of situation, but I'm going to give the edge to Milwaukee just because we still don't know 
how we're going to defend them if they decide to post up their two stars and we if are we going to adapt or not like i haven't seen it yet so i need to see it from from stats i need to see uh it from this team moving on to the last game we'll discuss round two blazers pelicans saturday portland took that game opening uh home opener 103 93 cousins had 39 and 13 um, it was a slugfest where Portland just looked off from, from, jump from the jump, get-go. And, and AD was out with a, a knee Well, no, he played. This, he just got injured in-game. Yeah. yeah, he was out. That game should not count for his stats, damn it. <laughs> yes, it should. Um, he just didn't want any of that, that Blazers victory, so I understand. Last time... Last time they opened with the Blazers at home, CJ dropped, you know, 36, and he was like, I don't want to deal with it. It's okay. Take your win, Blazers. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, AD knows when to hold him and knows when to fold him. You got to respect that. All right. But he's mm. back. He's back. Rondo's back. And the Pelicans are, are looking like a playoff team that your boy predicted mm. to make. Uh, they are 11-9, and nine, uh, a respectable 6-5 and five on the road. Um, however, pretty up and down. Six and four over their last ten. Sage, give us the state of the Pelicans over the course over the course of the last two so, weeks. What should we what should so, we know about them? We talked a lot about different teams coming into this this week. New Orleans is definitely a different team than they were when they came into the Rose Garden the last game. Rondo has taken over, and it is his team. They he is the one smart offensive and defensive player and it just shows when you have a a high high iq player telling what these players what to do and then they are actually doing it boogie is actually getting his big butt to the post and posting up smaller players anthony's cutting they're doing a lot of things and i talk a lot of shit about drew holiday the last two weeks his Offense is very uh, high variance, but what I can say about Drew Holiday, his perimeter defense has been some of the best perimeter defense I have ever, ever seen from a guard. He is putting the clamps on Clay Thompson, Devin Booker, uh, Russell Westbrook. He is playing some amazing defense this year. And it's kind of a bad time for the Blazers to go against the Pelicans when Drew Holiday is playing such lockdown defense. Um, but, I mean, like, Rondo is the head of the team. The team is buy- buying into what Rondo and Tony Allen are saying about playing hard defense. I mean, they beat the Spurs and then the Thunder in the, in the last uh, week. They beat those two teams. They lost to the Warriors, but you know what? The Warriors are the best team ever, so I'll give them a pass. But they've been playing really, really good basketball, and I credit Rondo for his IQ and leadership for this team. So a few things that ha- have changed. Anthony Davis played five minutes in the, that home opener. He will be back and likely play another 40-plus minutes. However, Noah Vonley yeah, he, he, was he, not available. Noah is one of the few guys that plays really good defense with Anthony Davis. It is it, Every game that those two play, I get him surprised at how well Noah Vonley plays defense on him. 
Pat Connaughton has also played better, and if he continues to um, shoot the ball, at, especially from the perimeter, at the clip that he's doing now, that's going to further space the floor. It's going to uh, discourage, I would say, the Pelicans from trying to do any sort of trapping of of Damon CJ. But I think the big one of the biggest keys is Cousins has had his way with the Trailblazers st- statistically for the past year and a half. I mean, he had that 55-point outburst in Sacramento. He had 39 and almost led them to victory um, in the home opener. But there's two things that we need to watch out for. One, will Cousins settle for three-point shots? And how many does he settle for? I think if Portland can get him into that mindset of, hey, this is where you need to play, Portland's going to win the game. Mm. Like, he is more dominant down low. And two... Yusuf Nurkic must stay out Absolutely. of quick foul trouble. He got into he Boogie got into foul trouble, and then Terry Stotts last game. Yeah, Terry Stotts kept him in the game and got his third. He had three fouls in six minutes of action. Um, that cannot happen again. So those are are my biggest X factors. I think it's really going to be Portland's bigs up against the New Orleans bigs. Obviously, the ones from the Crescent City are more talented, but. Can they be neutralized in any sort of facet? Um, we know Nurt can put up numbers. Can Von Ley do just, can he make Davis work like he's going to have to make Giannis work, like he made Porzingis work? Um, those are going to be clutch. And then I think the Blazer backcourt has to have a big night because that's where we have the the over the overarching advantage. You know, Rondo is a good defender. Drew plays good defense, but neither of them... I think offensively should be able to carry the torch the way that the Blazer yeah, guards do. And, you know, I think this is, it feels like uh, a Dame game. He hasn't been shooting the rock well from three lately. He's still been putting up 30, but I feel like Dame or CJ, but I've just got a Dame feeling that he is, he's going to have a big night and Pat too. I, I think those, those two carry us to victory. I mean, we're at home. This feels like we're getting just a clash of two completely yeah, different the, teams. The, like the Pelicans are the antithesis of what the Blazers are, and vice versa. I mean, it's it's a huge clash of styles. What I will say is, normally I think Pat Connaughton could abuse the Pelicans, but they made a change, and each one more is now the starting small forward because Dante Cunningham is Dante Cunningham, and. Moore is pretty disciplined defensively. He's not going to let uh, Pat run around the perimeter like he's known to do because a lot of teams kind of don't respect him yet because the it's only been 20 games. You know, it could be fluky. But I, I think Moore can shut him down for real. And you know, I you hung out with me the last time we watched the Pelican game. I talked so much shit about Drew Holiday. Offensively, he's whatever defensively recently, man, if I know who he's defending before the game starts, they're getting faded in daily fantasy. And that's a rare thing for me to say. Like he's playing such good defense. It's, it's actually really cool to watch. And, uh, it's, it's tough, man. Are you going to this game? I will be at the game. I think the Blazers split these two. I think they lose a close one to the Bucks. I think they win by six or seven against the Pelicans. I think Dame 
Game's going to be too much down the stretch. I think the addition of Vonley to this matchup is going to play in Portland's favor now that they, they're not just... I think losing Vonley for that first matchup really limited us to what mm-hmm. we could do defensively against Boogie and AD because they present such an unparalleled matchup that Portland's ever going to yeah, see. This, like it's, is the one, it's the yeah, this is the one team you have to worry about the, the two transcendent bigs doing fucking awesome big stuff i i mean until yeah i think cousins is just gonna make a, i think he might shoot himself out of the game like he did like he had it going but he settled for 10 threes he only hit three um i think he could do that again and i think portland will just make a couple smarter plays down the stretch finally utilize the home court advantage and get get the victory so i think they, they go one and one uh, on the week No, you have to stick. I hope you pick uh, the Pelicans because every Pelicans. time you pick the Pelicans, I'm going with the Pelicans. The, okay, lock it up. That is your lock of the week. The Blazers will win <laughs> this game every time Sage picks the Pelicans to beat Portland in Portland. The exact opposite happens. So thank you. You my know friend. what's weird? The last I mean, we've been doing this show for three years, right? Every year, except this one, I have enjoyed watching the Blazers play more than the Pelicans. I just have, like, for whatever reason. You know, Blazers have been more competitive, they're smarter, but with Rondo on this team, I enjoy watching the Pelicans again. I'm not going to say on the show which one I enjoy watching more, but I like th- I am optimistic about this team. If Rondo's healthy, I feel good about it. Like, in the bottom of my heart, I knew we weren't going to make the play or be a good team the last two years. But, I don't know, Rondo has gotten me, like, feeling optimistic about the Pelicans. Which, you know, when he's happy and healthy, he's a great point guard. And this is what that that team needs, is a guy that will tell Drew Holiday, be aggressive. I will handle the playmaking uh, 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 responsibilities. You can do you. You can be an aggressive guard that goes to the basket and hits mid-range jumpers sometimes and misses layups a fucking lot, but... I don't know. I really enjoy this team now. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fun game. I'm going to be very active on social media that that day, of course, because I can't not be. But uh, yeah, I think a one-on-one week, it's going to be a very fun, fun, fun week to, for Blazers basketball. It's going to be a lot of tough games. All right, Rip City. Uh, that's going to do it for us tonight. And if you like what you're hearing, uh, subscribe to us. You can find our podcast at Holy Backboard PDX. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Uh, leave us a comment, uh, a suggestion, and we're also on social media. So give us that follow on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Holy Backboard. Sage, any final words? I just bought the ASCAP uh, rights so I can play hip hop music on my uh, live show streams for on NBA 2K. So. Um... In the next few weeks, I'll be on that uh, streaming site playing some uh, old radio uh, playlists because I uh, downloaded all of my old music onto my laptop. So you can hear some music that I like played heavy on the radio from 2013 to 2015, and I'm going to start digging for music again. So I'm really excited to get back into the music thing. It's been a while. I've like not been a real hip-hop fan for a while, so it's my opportunity to do that and play NBA 2K. So check me out on 
Mixer.com slash the Sage 504. Alright, Sage, it's about 11.16 on a Tuesday night. I think it's about time to wrap this baby up, but 4 and one road trip, heading home for four more. Let's take care of business and protect home court, Rip City. Wherever you may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!